My name is Chris Thurton, if you don't know. Um, thank you. <laughs> here, here's. I like that. Uh, <laughs> I'm on staff here uh, with the Inn, and I'm so excited to share with us tonight. Um, I want to share about an experience I had. There was this one... Um, it was this one day, it was a couple years back, more than a couple years back, and I was sitting in my living room, and one of my good friends, really one of my best, best friends, Katie, walks in the, into the house, into my house, and she says, Third, get up, we gotta do something fun tonight. And I was like, Katie, I'm tired, I'm not trying to do nothing. She's like, nope, we're doing something. Actually, you know what we're doing? We are going to go dance on the corner. We're gonna work the corner. And I said, Katie, we're not gonna go work the corner. That is dangerous and inappropriate. She said, <laughs> she said, no, no, no. We're gonna like put on some goofy clothes, go down by Jack in the Box, hang out with the people down there. We're gonna play some music, put out a little cup, and we're gonna dance and see what happens. And I was like, Katie, that's why I love you. All right, let's go. <laughs> and, uh, and we went down to Jack in the Box in the goofiest of clothes, and we danced for an hour, we made some good friends, had some incredible conversation with some people down at Jack. If anybody knows the Ave and knows Jack, I'm actually know who's down there. And, and we had some incredible conversations and, and made some incredible relationships. And, and that night was one of the coolest nights of my life. And it wouldn't have happened if my friend Katie hadn't come into my room and said, let's go do something that night. If you don't know Katie Hunter, Katie Hunter was an intern here at the inn a couple years ago and uh, has been one of my best friends for a long time now. And uh, this weekend, I was out of town and I got a phone call from a friend that said that he prefaced the conversation saying, hey, everything's okay, but Katie was in a car accident. And, and Katie Hunter was in a car accident this, this past weekend. She was an intern here and, and this, this accident was bad and Katie went into surgery and uh, had to have... Um, brain surgery, had to have part of her skull removed, um, lots of things going on. All that being said, Katie is doing all right today. She's up, she's talking. She uh, did this little thing where she let her legs dangle off the bed today. That's a big deal. Um, but Katie has a long road to recovery ahead of her. And I bring up this, this story because it has nothing to do with the message, um, but it has everything to do with the community that we are and the God that we believe in. And the reality is if you step foot in this room once, if you have one conversation with anybody that is a part of this community, with anybody that's a part of this staff, if you have one conversation, one interaction, you are part of our family. And if you're part of our family, we're gonna be praying for you. We're gonna be thinking about you. We're gonna be doing this life with you. And so we're gonna take some time to pray for Katie tonight because we believe that God moves and he acts and he works. I believe it is a miracle that Katie is alive and I believe that God is working to heal her right now through the surgeon's hands, through the doctor's hands and through his, his incredible hands as well. So we're gonna take some time to pray for Katie. I'm gonna invite y'all to pray with me as we pray for my sister, Katie. Father God, thank you so much that Katie is alive. God, thank you that, uh, thank you for the joy that she brings to everyone she interacts with. God, I thank you for the ways that she shares your word, your gospel through words and through actions, God. I thank you for the doctors. I thank you for the man that was in the accident with her that stopped by the side of the road to pray with her and put a blanket around her and wait with her and call 911 for her. God, I thank you that throughout this whole traumatic experience, you have been present and at work 
and healing, God, I lift up Sean, Katie's boyfriend, his family. I lift up Katie and her family to you, God. I just pray you give them peace, that you would help them to just know your presence, to know that they are loved, to know that we are, know that we are with them and that you are with them, God. God, I pray for a full recovery for Katie. I pray your healing hand upon her. God, I pray that you give her strength as she goes through the process of, 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 of recovering, God. I pray that you would help us to walk with her, that she would know she is not alone in this, God. Holy Spirit, just, just flood all over this situation. God, we know you do incredible things. We know you do miraculous things. We believe it is a miracle that she is here, and we pray that you would continue to do miraculous things as she continues to heal. God, thank you for your love, for your presence. Thank you for Katie. We lift up to you in your name, Jesus. Amen. Kathy, if you ever watch this or listen to this, though I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you, and I love you, sister. Love you, girl. All right. I did ask you about a cool experience for a reason. We're gonna move on with, with the talk. And actually a while back, when I was giving a talk one time, someone told me, never um, let somebody know that you struggled to write a talk, never tell them. So I'm breaking that rule. Uh, this was a hard talk to write. Uh, partially, big part, because of what happened to Katie, that took up a lot of space in my mind. I was also out of town, there's lots of things going on. But that being said, I fully believe Jesus is gonna speak to us tonight, because that's what he does. It's gonna be a great night. It's gonna be an incredible night because I know Jesus has been speaking to me and he's gonna speak to you through this word that we got tonight. Uh, I asked you, what is the coolest thing you ever experienced for a reason? Um, we have been going through this series uh, of Am I Worth It? What's, what's your story? Engaging our stories. And last week, Voy talked to us about this idea of a personal brand and how we brand ourselves and how we interact with that space. And he asked us to reflect on this question at the end of the day, how do I feel about myself and why do I feel that way? I hope that we engage with that. Um, and as I, was, uh, as I was thinking about this and coming into this week, knowing that I was going to be speaking, I, I was thinking a lot about this, about this idea of, am I worth it? And uh, actually, where I did some of my best thinking on this conversation, uh, uniquely enough, was on Saturday night, we went, uh, I had the opportunity, I was out of town, like I said, I had the opportunity to go to this jazz show. If you've never been to a jazz show, Go. I'm going to tell you that it is honestly one of the coolest things, whether you like jazz or not, like cool points go through the roof. And I can say that because I've been to a jazz show, as dorky as saying cool points sounds, I've been to a jazz show, so it outweighs that dorkiness. I'm telling you, you should go. And I walk into this space, this, 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 this jazz club, uh, it's called the Village Vanguard, and we get there, and I sit down in my seat, and, and this man gets up on stage, and he says, welcome to the Village Vanguard. This is the most famous and important jazz club in the world. And I'm sitting there like, oh my goodness. <laughs> this right here, this is the most famous and important jazz club in the world? This is dope. <laughs> and I, I'm sitting there and, and the music starts to play and I'm listening to it and I'm vibing and, and in this, this sense comes over me of like, is this place really that dope? <laughs> Like, the experience was really cool. Don't get me wrong. Like, I love the music that's being played. But, like, this is just to, to sum it up, like, to, to kind of 
set the stage. We walk down these stairs, like in a basement. The room is small. The tables are dinky. They're little tables. The, the walls are painted black. There's just a red velvet curtain up front, and it's like maybe fits 100 people. And you're like, there's nothing really special about this room. And honestly, like I'd never heard of the Village Vanguard <laughs> until we, like someone told us we needed to go. And, uh, and I get back to Seattle, I'm talking to my roommates, I'm like, hey, I went to this jazz show at the Village Vanguard, it's supposed to be the most famous and important jazz club in the world. And he's like, BS, man. <laughs> he's like, how do you know? I was like, I don't know, someone told me, the dude on stage told me. And he's like, he's like no way. So he looks it up online, no joke. He looks up, he types in, what is the most famous and <laughs> important jazz club in the world? Village Vanguard, number one. <laughs> on every, every list, it was number one. Kid you not, so suck it, Tom. Um, <laughs> edit that out, I'm sorry. Um, I love you, Tom. Uh, <laughs> this is real, you're gonna get a lot of realness tonight. Uh, and uh, while I was sitting at the Village Vanguard in this club, I was sitting there thinking, okay, this space, there's nothing special about this space that I'm in. Nothing special about these walls, about this basement, about the fact that I gotta walk around this little tiny alley to this little tiny bathroom when I gotta go to the bathroom. There's a three-foot bar in the back. I've been to much better, much nicer venues, been to much better bars, and I've been to places with much better bathrooms. And... <laughs> I'm thinking, what is it about this place that makes it valuable? And the reality is, in that moment, I, I thought of what is this idea of value? And, and it struck me that this place was valuable because of the experiences that had been had there and because of the people that said it was valuable, the number of people that said it was valuable, but not just that, the importance of the people that said it was valuable. When something is given value... I looked up the definition. Value is defined by its usefulness. It's actually, but it's not just something that's useful that makes something valuable. It's also when a bunch of people say it's valuable. Money, for instance, is just made of paper and really is pretty useless. But enough people ascribe value to it and it has worth. I saw this meme the other day. I don't have it up here. But it said something about, to the effect of Something is ugly until Rihanna says it isn't, and then it's not ugly anymore. <laughs> here, here, I got some here. This is, this is that reality of the importance of, of the person that puts worth onto something creates value for something. Can we all agree with that to a certain degree? Like, this is how we create value. And, and it got me to think about my own life and the way that I engage with how valuable I am. And if value, it comes from uh, the experiences we have through our usefulness, if it comes from the voices that speak into us, the number of voices or the importance of those voices that speak into us, what does that mean for me and my story? And what does that mean for you and your story? And that's what we're gonna engage with tonight. I call this talk, The Value of Enough. And we're gonna interact with what it takes for us to feel valuable enough. Before we get going, I'm gonna pray uh, because Lord knows we need it. Father God, thank you that you meet us here. God, I just pray that, that you would rid me of myself God, whatever you have for us to hear tonight, God, I pray that it would be remembered. Whatever is from me and not from you, I pray it would be forgotten. 
Jesus, give me your words. Speak through me. Speak to me and speak to us tonight. In your name, Lord. Amen. All right. So looking at value in, that, in this reality that Jesus speaks, I want to, uh, to talk to you a little bit about my life. Like we said, we're going through four different stories, so it's my turn, my opportunity to tell you my story a little bit. Some of you may have heard it multiple times. We're going to tell it a little differently tonight. Keep you on your toes. Keep you interested. We're going to have some fun. It's going to be good. Guys, when I was a little kid, I was weird and awkward and um, pretty much a loner, and I... And, uh, this really, really uh, subconsciously affected the way I felt about my own value. I, I got really good at hanging out by myself. I got really good at thinking that, that no one really wanted to interact with me. I got good at thinking I did not matter. And, and I honestly started to believe this lie that got placed on me that I was irrelevant. And, and honestly, I did not know when I was a kid that this was a lie that I was starting to believe. I didn't know it. It's just something that, that happened, something that was going on in me. Uh, and I didn't know that this was something that I was starting to believe and starting to live into, and that was starting to shape the way I would uh, interact with the rest of my life. Going back to, like I said, I was awkward and funny looking. We got a picture. Fun fact, that's not actually me, that's Drake. Come on, boy. But we're both from Toronto, and I think there might be something there because the next picture is actually me, and we look pretty similar. <laughs> something about that weird fro, the glasses, and whoo, yeah. But to be honest, that was not my most awkward phase, contrary to popular belief. That was kind of like in the middle of my glow-up transformation. Um, this next picture, these next two pictures really show my awkwardness. Yeah, whoo. We're getting vulnerable and real tonight. People, I was, I'm from Canada, from Toronto. It was uh, Y2K. Fun fact, little fun fact. I honestly, one of my sister's friends one time said that when, when Y2K hit, when, when the year 2000 hit, that everything would freeze. And I was scared to death on, on, nine, on 1999, uh, on, uh, on December 31st, 1999, that when midnight hit, that we would all just freeze and be stuck. That's a weird fact. That shirt reminded me of just now. Uh, but look how weird and awkward I was. Oh my goodness. The picture on the left, I was playing basketball. I was kind of fat and slow. <laughs> I was nay-naying before it happened. Ed Meow, got you, boy. Um, and then this picture of 2000 Canada, the no teeth smile. It was a continual thing, but uh, that round chubby face, that no shape of a hairline, and man, uh, yikes. But somewhere between, uh, so third grade to sixth grade was my awkward years. Seventh grade and eighth grade, uh, between sixth and seventh grade, I, I grew uh, my baby fat started to shed a little bit, got a little more athletic, a little more slender, got a little, I figured out what my style was. Let's get to go to the next picture. Yeah. Your boy. Come on. That's the definition of glow up. I'm going to tell you, not everybody, not everybody loves their middle school years. Middle school was my prime. Seventh, eighth grade, look at that fro. Oh my goodness, there's a pic in there. That's nice. That is all real, all natural. Braided that hair back. It was slick. That's my sister. Shout out Heather. See you, girl. That's, that's my girl. Um, but seventh and eighth grade, uh, I started, like I said, I grew into my body a little bit more. And, and I came back from my seventh grade year and um, 
People noticed the change in me. Literally, physically, I had changed, and people started interacting with me differently. Actually, the popular kids, the cool kids, started to interact with me, started to talk to me, started to say, you know what, you should come hang out with us. That changed the way that I interacted with myself. This was the first time that I actually started to believe that I had relevance, that I mattered. And that's the first time that I actually acknowledged the lie. I didn't know it was a lie, but I acknowledged the feelings that I had had for the beginning part of my life life that I was irrelevant. And this is the first time I actually felt relevant in my life. Does that make sense? Y'all tracking with me? Seventh and eighth grade, first time I felt relevant. Most of the people in this room probably did not feel relevant at that time. That was my time to shine. And it wasn't just that I, I, the popular kids started to, to reach out to me and want to hang out with me. That's where it started. But I also got good at sports. Like I said, I, I grew up, I got a little faster, shed the baby fat, and, and I got good at sports. And so what happened is the popular kids say they're, they're, that, that I'm cool, that I should hang out with them, and I started to get my value from that. I started to hear these voices saying, hey, you're cool, come be with us. Come hang out with us, eat lunch with us, come run with us. I was like, okay, I, oh, that's great. So these voices started telling me, you're relevant, you matter, you're enough. And I started to hear them and believe them. But guess what? Now I had this popularity and it wasn't enough. What did Nicole talk about? She, she, she was starting to realize that, that, that these things were not enough. What did Mike talk about last week? He started to realize that he was on the football team. He had everything he wanted. It was not enough. So me and my 12-year-old, 13-year-old self, popularity was not enough. What was the next thing? Sports. I went to sports. I was good at it. I remember specifically the first time I ever really got an affirmation from a teacher. I wasn't the best student growing up. I just learned differently than they taught. That's the way I like to say it. Uh, and uh, I remember the first compliment I remember actually getting from a teacher was athletically related. And uh, I, was, I was playing in, in this tournament and, and a teacher from another school came up to me and said, hey, you're really good. You could play in college someday. And that's the, that's the moment that I started to get my affirmation through sports and athletics. And I realized, mm, you know what? I'm relevant here. Started making all-star teams, started making traveling teams, things like that. This was a place that I found relevance and success and I was great at it. I'm telling you. Middle school years were great for me. And, uh, and this is the space that, that I started to live in. But you know what? Just like for Mike, just like for Nicole, it wasn't enough. So what did I move on to next? What did I move on to next? And for those of you that know my story, you know the struggle that I've, I've felt being, uh, being um, multiracial, being black and white. And, and I tried to, I, a lot of what I struggled with was what my identity was. Uh, I didn't feel like I was black enough, didn't feel like I was white enough. And I actually found out that there was a way that, that for me to really interact with, with a part of my culture that I craved to interact with, with the black side of my culture, I, I found out that, or I thought at least, if I acted a certain way, uh, I would be accepted uh, by people that look like me. And, and that way that I found acceptance was actually through um, a lot of gangs and a lot of violence. That's not always the case. I do not want you to sit here and listen to me and think that that is the case for people to fit in with black people. That is not it at all. I actually have a lot of black friends back home in Toronto that I know through incredible and awesome things, through church, through other activities, through sports, through life know that this is not the way that all black people interact and act. But this is where I found acceptance through people that looked like me. And I clung to it. I started getting in fights. I started stealing things and I started wearing colors. And I, I thought, mm, this is it. I made it, found success here. So now I had these three areas for two years. There was these three areas in my life. Not just that, actually, there's one more. Uh, I grew up in a church, my dad's a pastor, and I, just, I knew the Bible. 
since I was a kid, it's just, I just knew it. I was raised in it. And so there was these four places that I could go. I could go to friends at school. I could go to, uh, to, to this, this more hood type lifestyle. I could go to sports. I could go to church. And anywhere I walked in, whenever one was lacking, I could go to the other and I could get built up. And in each place, I had these different voices speaking affirmation into me about the various experiences that I was having there. If I was good enough at church, I got voices saying, yes, you are relevant, you matter here. If I was good enough at sports, I got voices saying, you're good enough, you're relevant, you matter here. If I was popular enough, if I asked the right girl out, if I was going to the right parties, I was good enough. I I was validated, I was relevant, and I mattered. If I stole the right things, if I walked around wearing, honestly, wearing colors, as dumb as it sounds, I would get affirmation say, hey, you're relevant. I know you, you're Chris Thurton. I mattered. But it would always be like this idea of of filling up the tank of my relevancy and then it would kind of get depleted. So then I'd go on to the next thing and fill it up again. And and that became a pattern. And and for me, what's crazy is is that lasted for two years and it probably would have gone on for longer and gotten way worse in areas that would have been really bad. But my family, and probably more so Jesus than we will ever know his hand in, maybe till we're with him in paradise, is the fact that my family decided to move from Toronto, Canada to Salem, Oregon when I was 13 years old before high school. And when I got to Salem, Oregon, the things that made me relevant in Toronto no longer made me relevant in Salem at all. And I remember like the first day of school, high school, walking through, I was wearing FUBU jeans, Sean John, a red Sean John shirt, a black LA fitted cap, walked through looking hard, got my face all like just mean, and no one cared. No one cared. The things that gave me relevancy in Toronto did not matter in Salem at all, at all. And so I got there and I had to figure out a new way to fill up to hear new voices telling me who I was. Luckily for me, or unluckily, depending on how it is, I still had sports. And so sports became that entryway. And I got in there and I started playing football, playing basketball, running track, and I got, to, I got built up. I had voices speaking into me. And then, you know what, those voices transferred and they said, you know what, come to the parties. You're cool enough, come to the parties, come hang out with us. And I got this party voice speaking into me. Then, you know, the crazy thing about Salem is that young life and church was actually really cool there. And so I started interacting with Young Life as well and interacting at church. And I became the best Young Life kid. I became the best church kid, but I was also the best partier. And I was also really good at sports. And I did all these things because it was just like it back in Toronto. I would fill up one tank, it would get depleted, go to the other tank, then it get depleted, go to the next tank, then it would get depleted. You tracking? Has anybody else experienced something similar to this? This was my life. From... Seventh grade through senior year of high school, this was the rhythm and routine. Fill up one tank, it'd get emptied. Fill up another. And the crazy thing is, the Christian part of my life was one of those tanks. The young life part of my life was one of those tanks. I could go there and I had voices speaking into me, yeah, you're relevant, you matter here, you're enough, which is true. But it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. I had almost everything that I I thought I wanted. And I I, I still wasn't enough. Maybe you're tracking with my story. Maybe you're tracking Nicole's story. Maybe you track with Mike's story. I got a video of someone else's story. It's kind of above us, but maybe we'll track what he's saying. 
Tom Brady, the quarterback of the New England Patriots, is not only one of the NFL's best players, he's one of the NFL's great stories. At the tender age of 30, he has already won three Super Bowls, an accomplishment that ranks him with some of the best quarterbacks ever to play the game. And he's having one of the greatest seasons in pro football history. When we first reported on him back in 2005, he seemed underrated and almost overlooked. He doesn't have the arm of Peyton Manning, and he doesn't have tattoos, and he doesn't take steroids, and he's never held out for more money. All he knows how to do is win. It's what you always wanted. You're right. You're right. It has. And I didn't think it came with all the other baggage, though. In addition to his success on the field and his sex appeal off it, there is also the $60 million 10-year contract to play with the Patriots. I mean, I'm making more money now than I ever thought I could ever make playing football. <laughs> but with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and and still think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is, me, I thank God. It's gotta be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew, I wish I knew. That's incredible to me. I, trust me, I do not like Tom Brady, and I do not like the Patriots. And I hate that I compared myself to Tom Brady. <laughs> I got one thing on him, I got tattoos. He does not relevant for that video. For whatever, why that would make someone relevant. Um, but there's something really interesting. This video, this video is really interesting to me. Tom Brady, at this point, had three Super Bowl rings, was married to a supermodel, was rich. You heard he's got sex appeal, apparently. That bum chin. I don't know. But he, he said it's not enough. He done everything. Every goal he ever wanted to achieve, he achieved it. Every doubter that was out there that said he wouldn't make it, that he wouldn't be enough, he proved them wrong. Everything that he seemingly wanted in life, he got, and it wasn't enough. And he doesn't know why. And that is a very sad and scary thing to me. That's where I felt. I didn't have three Super Bowl rings. I still don't. <laughs> don't even have one. But I, I, I had had everything I thought was I needed for success come my senior year of high school. Everything that I had worked for in all the areas of my life, good and bad, I had gained success in them. I had gained relevancy in them. And it was still, I still came up short. And there was something incredible that happened the summer after my, my senior year of high school. I did work crew at a Young Life camp. <laughs> That's not the thing that changed me. I did work crew at a Young Life camp. And it was at that camp that I experienced Jesus Christ for the first time for real in my life. 
It was at that camp that for the first time in my life, it wasn't all these voices around me telling me that I was enough. It was the God of the universe, the God that created everything that ever has been or ever will be that created me and you and everything you know. God told me with his own voice that he loved me, that I was enough, that I was worth it. He gave me grace. He gave me justice. He gave me truth. He gave me light. It wasn't these other voices speaking to me anymore. It was the voice of God. And that changed everything for me. Was I perfect after that? Not at all. Did I have it all figured out after that? Not at all. But did I start to begin to go down this journey of learning how to hear the voice of truth in my life over the voice of flawless lies in my life or flawed lies, not flawless, flawed lies in my life? Yes. How did I know? How did I know this was the voice of God? How did I know this was Jesus really speaking to me? Today I came across this incredible verse. Honestly, I do not remember ever reading this verse before in my life until today. And this is what it says. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, to know God, to know Jesus, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. This is Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. That's an incredible verse. What does it say? The things of this world, you can boast in them till the sun goes down. They will never be enough. You boast in God. You boast in Jesus Christ. He will continue to value you, build you up, tell you who you are. You can boast in him because he's someone that is worth boasting on. This is an incredible verse. I love it in the message even more. God's message. Do not let the wise brag of their wisdom. Do not let heroes brag of their exploits. Don't let the rich brag of their riches. If you brag, brag of this and this only, that you understand and know me. I am God. I act in loyal love. I do what's right and set things right and fair and delight in those who do the same things. These are my trademarks. God's decree. I love that. These are my trademarks. That summer, that summer at camp, I started to see and know the trademarks of God, that he is loyal in love, that he does what's right, that he sets things right and fair. He delights in those things. He delights in me. I started to realize that these things make up who God is. And as I started to see them and realize them for being God, I started to know that God wasn't just in those things. He was those things. Is incredible. There's this verse in John 3 that talks about the Spirit of God being like the wind. You don't know where it comes from, but you feel it and you know its presence when it's there. That's what the trademarks of God are like. Whenever you see a dad playing baseball with his son and you know that it's good and you get this feeling inside you that that's right, that's God. Whenever you see a father and mother taking their daughter out on a date and letting her know that she's valuable and beautiful and pretty and good and smart and wise and that when she directs her friends, she's not being bossy, she's a future CEO. 
That's God. Right? That's God. You don't know where it comes from. But you know it's good. Something wells up inside you and you know this is good. This is what's right in the world. That's God saying, I'm right here. When you see broken relationships get redeemed, when you see a friend who backstabs another friend and that one who's been backstabbed goes and forgives that friend and says, no, I still ride with you, that's God. Those spaces are the trademarks of God. And when we start to recognize and realize that that's what's going on, that that's what God wants for this world, we start to see God show up time and time again. We start to learn that this is the voice that he has for us. Whenever we see those things happen, we see that not only is this world worthy of receiving and interacting with those things, we start to see that God wants to give them to us and he wants to give them to the world. And we start to see that changes how we see ourselves because God's saying, if the world's worthy of it, you're worthy of it. Whenever you receive grace from a friend, whenever you receive forgiveness, whenever you get a hug, whenever someone says, hey, I'm gonna walk with you to class, whenever someone makes you a meal, whenever someone sees that you're having a rough day and they come alongside you, whenever you're crying and someone comes and gives you a hug, God is right there in that moment saying, I'm with you, I'm for you, you're worth it. Now, it's not just through these experiences, but it's also through the word of God. I start to read this and I start to see what Jesus says. I start to see what God says. I start to see the way he works with his people, to see the way that he works with this world. And I start to take it, not just in little chunks, but the whole thing. The whole thing is just a love story. God saying, I love you. You're worth pursuing. I'm for you. I'm with you. I want to pursue you. And I start to read this and I start to see, oh, this is how God works. This word tells me that, that God is all about justice. God is all about redemption. God is all about grace. God is all about love. God is all about truth. God is all about life. So when we start to see those things show up in our life, we start to see that's the voice of God telling us that we are worth it. But we have to practice. We have to start learning to hear that voice. The only way we do it, the only way we do it is by opening our eyes and looking for it, I guarantee you'll see it. I guarantee it. I saw it that night when Kate came into my, my apartment and said, let's go dance by Jack in the Box. Made no sense to me, but we got out there and we made new friends we brought smiles to people's faces and we got smiles brought to our faces. There was joy in that moment. People that I had never interacted with before in my life had become my friends that night. That is reconciliation. That is redemption. That is a new story. That is God. But if I didn't want to see it, I could just call it a fun night. Move forward. Never think about it again. You see how God is always speaking to us. He's always presenting opportunities for the trademarks of himself to be revealed to us. And that's my challenge to you this week. Last week, Mike asked you to, at the end of the day to write down all the things that, 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 you, that made you feel some type of way and why you felt that way. This week, I'm gonna ask you three things. Where do you see the trademarks of God? 
where do you see the trademarks of God? If you don't know what those trademarks are, we would love to talk with you through that. I've said them over and over again. I will not say them again tonight because I just don't want to bore you. And as you see those trademarks of God, as you see those things happen, either outside in the world to other people or to yourself, ask yourself, what does this tell me about who God is? And then from that, ask yourself, what does this tell me about who I am? And that's how we begin the journey of learning to differentiate between God's voice and the voice of the world around us. The voice that will always come up short in the world versus the voice of God that will continually, continually pursue you and chase you the same voice that spoke this world into existence, the same voice that created you in your mother's womb, the same voice that cried out to heaven, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me when he died on the cross for you? Because you were worth living and he literally thought you were to die for. That's the voice. That's the voice that we believe is speaking to us that will change our lives, that will change this world. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you speak. Thank you that your voice is true and good. God, help us to open our ears and our eyes to see where you're at work and to hear your voice speaking to us. God, thank you that you are at work in this world and you're at work in our lives. Help us to recognize it and to know you more and to know the value that you place on us. In your name, Jesus, amen.